You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Breitman. Today, I'm sitting down with two clinicians from the National Clinician Consultation Center, or the NCCC. They are Asta Kanani, MD, Associate Physician and HCV and HIV Consultant, and Christina Gruda, PharmD, Clinical Pharmacist and Senior HCV and HIV Consultant, to talk about hepatitis C treatment and adherence when it comes to people with HIV. Welcome, Asta and Christina. Thank you, Mariana. Happy to be here. So let's just dive right in. Could you tell our listeners about National Clinician Consultation Center and the Hepatitis C Warm Line? Yeah, um, thank you again for having us here. Um, so the National Clinician Consultation Center is a part of the AETC's uh, AIDS Education Training Center's uh, uh, national centers focusing on clinical consultations on six different free hotlines. Uh, we have um, hotlines that range from uh, dealing with post-exposure prophylaxis, pre-exposure prophylaxis. We have a perinatal uh, HIV hotline that is a 24-hour service, a hepatitis C warm line, a substance use warm line, and an HIV warm line. The hepatitis C warm line has been doing consultations since, um, in various forms since 2014. We talk to any clinical provider that has uh, questions around hepatitis C management. We went from taking around 68 calls in uh, 2015 to 535 calls in 2022. It really is an incredible amount of growth, and the growth wouldn't have been possible without listeners who are thinking and uh, actually treating hepatitis C. Yeah, that's a great um, description of what we do, um, Asta. Um, yeah, so just to let you all know, all you listeners know that we are here as a resource for you to tap into anytime uh, you need any clinical support. Um, and especially since we're focusing on hepatitis C today, um, call us on the Hep C warm line. Um, but just let me paint a picture for why this work is so important, why treating patients, persons with Hep C is so important. So an MMWR was actually published in August in of 2022 to look at what are the rates of treatment within one year of being diagnosed or confirmed to have um, hepatitis C infection? And the numbers were pretty 
um, poor, uh, even persons with uh, private insurance, the treatment rate within one year was just slightly over 35%. And then, of course, those who are publicly insured, un um, not unexpectedly, had lower rates of treatment. Those with Medicaid had treatment rates less than 25%. And so this is the reason why this is a call to action for folks to treat uh, hepatitis C when possible. Um, and it's very doable, doable. Management of hep C has changed so much since the advent of the DAA um, era, which was around 2014. Um, it's, you know, went from a disease that was treated in specialty clinics like hepatology and ID to now primary care settings. And really, it's very doable in a primary care setting. There are also other innovative treatment settings, not necessarily primary care. Uh, for example, there are actually really excellent pharmacy-led treatment care models. Um, the Indian Health Services has really great um, pharmacy-led treatment uh, that has led to really great outcomes. And there's also co-location of substance use with hepatitis C treatment. So um, those who are methadone clinics or clinics that provide Suboxone are also now treating hepatitis C. Um, so part of what we do on the Hep C warm line is just to walk providers through this process so they feel comfortable and confident providing the life-saving cure of Hep C treatment. So I'm curious, what sort of questions do providers bring to the HCV warm line? That's an excellent question, Mariana. Um, so first of all, as um, Asta had alluded to earlier, our call volume has totally grown, especially in the recent uh, year or so. It doubled in the last year. We receive calls from all over the country. Um, our most popular topics include initial treatment of hepatitis C, um, evaluation and monitoring of hepatitis C, and regimen selection. Those are sort of like the top three topics. Um, so a uh, pretty much bread and butter case that we will uh, receive on the on the line is a provider who wants us to help them go through their workup. So we go through baseline workup of the patient. Um, we've even received calls from, from providers treating their first patient with hep C, uh, really exciting for both us and them. Um, so in addition to going through labs and staging of the liver, uh, we'll also ask about comorbid conditions, co-medications, because we want to make sure we want to check for drug-drug interactions um, with the DAAs. Um, and then we'll also talk about healthcare maintenance um, around cirrhosis and liver health. Yeah. And then if I can add on, we also get more nuanced and complex calls. So sometimes we'll get calls about hepatitis B reactivation um, in a patient uh, that's co-infected with hepatitis B, living with hepatitis B and hepatitis C. So what to do uh, around management of that to prevent a hepatitis B flare. We'll get nuanced calls about treatment interruption um, where a patient may have missed one day of med uh, versus they may have dropped out of care um, for three or four months uh, and what they had initiated therapy and what to do with them now. And then just one other example is uh, trying to 
uh, piece out uh, whether a patient has been reinfected with hepatitis C versus their initial treatment. Did uh, did it work or did it not work? Um, and was it a relapse? So um, it's really rewarding work. And uh, sometimes upon review of these cases, we're able to uh, point out other clinical pearls that the provider might not have been thinking of. So um, it's um, great uh, and exciting uh, what we do. And what advice would you give to primary care physicians or pharmacists who have never treated patients with hepatitis C but are interested in starting? So first and most important, we really want to be people's cheerleaders and encourage that um, in this day and age, hepatitis C treatment has really become straightforward and can readily be be managed in the primary care setting. Uh, Current guidelines also endorse simplified treatment algorithms um, for most patients that haven't uh, had treatment uh, before, treatment-naive patients that limit the number of diagnostic tests that need to be done beforehand to start treatment and monitoring that's uh, required. Uh, There are many resources out there for the provider that's interested in diving in to hepatitis C treatment. Uh, University of Washington uh, has some great online modules. The hcvguidelines.org, where uh, the guidelines exist, um, are housed, uh, are a great resource. And then our hotline um, is a resource. Uh, Some things we um, would suggest or encourage is being connected to a local regional uh, specialist, a hepatologist for patients with more advanced liver disease in the patients that have decompensated cirrhosis. Uh, But then in the end, it's really great. There's so many things in primary care that we can't cure, but hepatitis C, we can cure and be rid of it and done with it. And it's successful. Christina, do you have any additional advice for our listeners? Yeah, um, we we have some clinical pearls or not, not, I'm sorry, not clinical pearls, process pearls for those who are wanting to start treating hep C in their clinics and haven't yet. Um, uh, Two main main things. One is care coordination, uh, which means having coordination between the patient, yourself as the provider in the clinic, other um, ancillary staff in the clinic, the pharmacy, and insurance. Um, I know that sounds like a lot, but actually once it's been in a, in, put in a protocol, it's actually not so bad. So let's start off with insurance. Um, there used to be a, um, many more hurdles to getting DAAs approved by insurance, but um, now it's not that bad, perhaps uh, filling out a prior authorization, but it should be pretty uh, routine. Um, so just make sure that when you start off uh, treating patients with hep C, have somebody responsible for um, to look out for those prior authorizations and get them filled out uh, in in a you know in, in efficient time. Um, the other thing is just communication. Communication, especially between the patient and the pharmacy. Um, sometimes the far- the insurance will. Um, um, mandate that it's mail order pharmacy as opposed to brick and mortar pharmacy. So we want to make sure that there is clear communication between the pharmacy and the patient as when if the medications need to be delivered or if it's a brick and mortar pharmacy when the patient is supposed to come in to pick up their refills. Um, it's also not, um, 
encouraged if possible. Sometimes you can arrange for the pharmacy to deliver to your clinic. And especially at the very beginning of hep C treatment, it's really nice to have the medications with you as the provider and the patient there all together to reinforce how they're supposed to take their medications um, and when they're supposed to ask for refills. As a clinic, it's never a bad idea. We actually encourage you to call the pharmacy as well in anticipation of the patient receiving their next month of medications or to check that the patient did indeed pick up or got their medications delivered. The, the other thing to uh, bear in mind pro, um, process-wise is having a protocol for monitoring your patients um, and that could be easily done, uh, not necessarily, pa the patient doesn't necessarily need to come in uh, every week, but perhaps a phone call, especially in the beginning, to make sure the patients have picked up their meds, have started taking it or taking it on a daily basis, and that they're tolerating it. Um, and um, that's a great way to just be in touch um, and, um, and again, reinforcing adherence with the patient, which... Um, as we all know, is super important. Um, lastly, you can also put in your protocol counseling the patient on risk reduction steps because once they've cleared um, their hepatitis C, uh, which happens in vast majority of times, um, let patients know that um, hep C is, is something that they can get again. They can be reinfected and to educate them on how to prevent that from happening in the future. So what does a provider need to know if their patient is living with HIV? That's a great question, Mariana. Um, actually, it's um, there's not too many things to really consider um, when a patient is, has both hepatitis C and HIV infection. Um, Obviously, we want to make sure we're paying attention to drug-drug interactions. Uh, there is, um, because some antiretrovirals may interact with the DAAs, but there's a great resource in the University of Liverpool drug-drug interaction checker that you can plug in hep C medications with any other medications the patient is taking, including antiretrovirals. Um, the other pearl to remember is that uh, if you receive a, a patient with HIV in your care and you've determined that they have hep C, it's really important to try to treat that hep C as soon as possible because we know that um, being infected with both HIV and hep C can um, actually exacerbate hep C or it can progress faster in those who are co-infected. Uh, the other thing to remember is that a patient's HIV viral load doesn't need to be suppressed um, as a prerequisite for treating their hepatitis C. Obviously, we want to make sure that we're paying attention to this and how what that may mean in terms of adherence to their antiretrovirals, um, but uh, you, because we also want our patients to adhere to their hep C medications as well. How much medication can a patient miss and still be cured? How critical is, you know, perfect adherence? Thank you, Mariana. I think if we had the answer to this, um, it would be so nice to have a clear answer. But there is no clear answer to this question. But we have a little bit of data uh, that tells us adherence doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, there are two trials that looked at similar patient populations in patients that were 
actively using substances, the ANCHOR trial and the Simplify trial. They were both small trials. They both used sabasavir and vilpatosphere as the hepatitis C drug of choice. And uh, as I had mentioned, they're actively using drugs. And both concluded that there were there can be around one to two weeks of missed meds, and uh, patients still achieved a high rate of sustained virological response, SVR. In another study in, uh, uh, from Italy by Fabiani et al., there was a retrospective analysis that looked at patients that cut their hepatitis C therapy short. They didn't finish um, their therapy. And this study showed that patients with lower stage disease uh, still achieved high rates of sustained virologic response as long as they got as little as four weeks of meds. But patients with more advanced fibrosis uh, needed at least eight weeks um, of medications um, out of their total to achieve the higher rates of sustained virologic response. So the bottom line is we have some data to um, uh, support that patients don't have to be perfect. And the most important thing is to encourage that even if delayed, patients just finish their full therapy. As we begin to wrap up, I'm curious if there are any evidence-based interventions shown to optimize adherence. You know, what can providers, patients, or others do to improve adherence and which resources are important to optimize adherence? Really great questions, Mariana. Um, so what's really nice about working for the NCCC is there's um, adherence is a is a through line through many of the many of the other um, disease states disease states that our other hotlines um, cover, um, especially HIV. Um, so there's been a lot of um, evidence based. Um, interventions um, that have been borne out from that work uh, that we are now applying to hep C. Um, first of all, we want to make sure that the patient is adequately counseled or we have adequate information exchange between ourselves as the provider and the patient about their medications and why it's important to try to be adherent, even though it doesn't have to be perfect, as Asta alluded to, um, and also the process to expect during the time that they're being treated for either the next eight weeks or the next 12 weeks, depending on what regimen they're taking. Let them know to expect phone calls, not just from their um provider office, but also from the pharmacy. Um, we talked a lot about care coordination and what that entails earlier um, and phone calls from their providers about how well they're taking their medications. Um, there have been other ways to try to support adherence to sort of physically, um, one way is to repackage medications in bubble packs. Um, and uh, that's very a familiar concept to those taking care of per, uh, persons with HIV, uh, where the bubble packs are organized in days of the week. Um, and uh, so you probably get one month's worth of bubble packs at a time. Uh, they can package their medications that way, and then they can tell that they've taken that dose for the day. Um, other creative ways of trying to support adherence is um, direct observed therapy. Uh, that is not a new concept. Um, 
but especially places like methadone clinics are very capable of providing the medication, both their methadone as well as their hep C treatment for the two or three months that the patient is going to be treated for their hepatitis C. And then for unhoused um, patients, they've uh, there's places where they've been provided with telephones that they can be reached um, and they can use the clinic as a home base for the delivery of their medications. Those are just some examples. Christina Asta, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about hepatitis C and things that we need to look out for, especially when working with the HIV community. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nekaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.